Menga Galia, Naganga, Engeboja Kledebrina Katola de Bombra Nasi Kledebrina Katola de Ba. Father, we praise and bless and honor the name of Jesus. The name that is above every name, the name that rules in heaven and earth and under the earth. We are called by that name. We are called by that name. And I bow my knees under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I pray that tonight you grant everyone connected to this service revealed knowledge. The eyes of each one's understanding being flooded with light, veils full of clarity comes, your people built up, equipped, edified, Jesus glorified. We rejoice that by the end of this service we'll all be the better for it. In Jesus' precious name, and every believer says a powerful amen. Praise God. Lift your right hands to heaven. Let's release our feet together as we say these words. I am born of God. I am born of the world. The word of God is my nature. I do not struggle to do the word. I do the word naturally. Therefore today, I will understand the word of his grace. I will be built up. By the end of this service, I will never be the same. Never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name. And every believer says a powerful amen. We want to welcome every one of you connected by way of Kingdom Life Network, Facebook, YouTube, and all the various platforms, our campuses, all our house centers, and everybody connected to the service tonight. We're glad to have everybody connected. You guys get ready. We're going to get into some good word tonight that will build you up and you will never be the same again. Amen. You can be seated with your sweet, smart self tonight. And um, we're getting still on the series, The Misunderstood God. The Misunderstood God. Now, it's important for you to know that this is a part of an ongoing series. We started this quite a bit ago. And we've been dealing with, you know, the misunderstood God. Um, the book of James is where we started from. And I'd like us to stay there for introduction tonight. James chapter 1 verse number 6. James chapter 1 verse number 6. Brother James says in James chapter 1 verse 6. James chapter 1 verse number 6. <clears throat> Glory to God. James chapter 1 verse number 6. <clears throat> Hallelujah. James chapter 1 verse number 6. Alright, let me get it in my Bible. It says... But let him ask in faith, not in wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and toast. Look at verse 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And we took time to deal with this word double-minded. And we established yesterday that the word double-minded there has to do with your impression of God being double in your mind. That God can be good and bad at the same time. That God can be light and darkness at the same time. That God can be the one giving and the one taking away at the same time. That makes you double-minded. Your perception of God becomes double-minded. And when your perception of God is double-minded, it makes you an unstable person. It makes you unreliable. And he says, a man that is double-minded is unstable in all his ways. And let not that man think 
Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. He didn't say let not that man think that God will give him anything. He says let that man not think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Look at that same James chapter 1 verse 16. It says do not err my beloved brethren. Do not err my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And coming down from the father of lights. With whom is no variableness. Neither shadow of turning. And then he went to verse 18. And he says of his own will. Begot he us with the word of truth. That we should be a kind. Of first fruit of his creature. That we should be a kind. Of first fruit of his creature. So we began to establish the fact that God begat us of his own will so we're exactly like him. God has a single character and he gave birth to us so that we too have a single consistent character because we are his offspring. We are a kind, a species, a breed of beings born of God exactly like God. Look at that James again, chapter 1 verse 20. You will love this James, chapter 1 verse number 20. For the wrath of man walketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man. Please pay attention to the word the wrath of man. So we've been trying to examine this thing about the wrath of God in the course of our study. And we came to a place where we concluded that we've been trying to factor out where is God's wrath and we're still looking for it. And we're going to look for it a little more today. Alright, Romans chapter 9. Romans Chapter 9, verse number 17. Now, before I read, just hold on a bit. Before I read Romans chapter 9, you must see the Bible as a book of literature. The Bible is a book of literature. The Bible is a book where language has to be used. Or where language has to be understood. The Bible is a book of literature. Alright, where language has to be understood. Because if you do not understand that the Bible is a book of literature, then you will abuse the Bible. That will mean that all the rules of literature has to be applied in studying the Bible. The rules of literature has to be applied. I said that because of what I'm about to teach. Romans chapter 9 verse 17, listen to this very carefully. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Verse 18. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he, he will he hardeneth. Whom he will he hardeneth. Now, there are three things or scenarios about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. There are three scenarios or three things about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Let's look at a few scriptures. Exodus chapter 7 verse 22. Exodus chapter 7 verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord has said. So in this particular verse, Pharaoh hardened his heart. 
Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It was said he hardened his heart. Look at Exodus chapter 8 verse 15. Pay attention. Exodus chapter 8 verse number 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Exodus chapter 14 verse 8. Exodus chapter 14 verse 8. And the Lord hearkened, hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high standard. So here he says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now observe these three things. Number one, did Pharaoh harden his heart? Number two, was his heart hardened? Number three, did God harden his heart? We need to answer these three questions very quickly. Now, please pay attention. There is a use of figures of speech here. There is a use of figures of speech here. Look at Exodus chapter 6 verse 5. Exodus chapter 6 verse number 5. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. What did we call hardening of the heart? In the course of our teaching in the past few days, we said the hardening of the heart is unbelief. The hardening of the heart is unbelief. Look at Exodus chapter 7 verse 2. Exodus chapter 7 verse 2. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh. That he send the children of Israel out of his land. That is what he was told. That Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go out of his land. What we have here is in talking about God and Pharaoh and the hardening of his heart is actually a figure of speech. Remember again the Bible is a book of literature therefore language must be understood. So what we have in God, Pharaoh and the hardening of the heart is the application of a figure of speech. The Englishman will call it in grammar metonymi. Metonymi. M-E-T-O-N-Y-M-N-Y-M-Y. In English grammar, it is called metonymi. What you do is that you have a part of a series of action for the entire process. A part of a series of action for the entire process. For example, four of us played music. Four of us played music. Then you mention one of us as though he alone did all. Like you just said, well, I saw Abel Damina playing music. Meanwhile, it was four of us that played music. So when you use that figure of speech in English, it is called metonymi. Now, Look at where that figure of speech is applied in scripture. Where that figure of speech is applied in scripture. The book of 1 Kings chapter 22. 
The book of 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 52. 1 Kings 22:52. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat who made Israel to sin. Now he says he walked in the way of Jeroboam talking about Ahaziah. He walked in the way of Jeroboam or in the Hebrew is he walked in the leading of Jeroboam. Of course Jeroboam did nothing because what Jeroboam did was earlier long time ago. But now they mention Jeroboam in what Ahaziah did as though it was Jeroboam who did it. It is the application of that figure of speech. Let me show you where it is applied again in John chapter 4 verse 1. John chapter 4 verse number 1. The gospel of John. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. What did the Pharisees hear? They heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples. Look at me everybody. They heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples. That is what they heard. That Jesus made and baptized more disciples. But look at verse 2 carefully. Verse 2 of John chapter 4. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Though Jesus himself baptized nobody, but his disciples. But because they were the disciples of Jesus, the baptism was attributed to Jesus. Such a statement is in English grammar is called metonymi. Alright? It's a figure of speech. Even though in the baptism, Jesus was passive, yet his name was active in the series of the events. Look at another application of that same figure of speech. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was to guide them that took Jesus. Next verse. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. 18. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. This was mentioned about Judas Iscariot. First question to ask you is did Judas buy any field the question is no. So this is a figure of speech. Look at that verse 18 again of Acts. Acts chapter, chapter 1 verse 18. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. But we know that Judas, Judas did not buy any field. So it was a figure of speech. So what exactly happened? Look at where it happened here. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 3. Matthew chapter 27 verse 3. 
Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was, he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Pay attention. Next verse. Saying, I have seen in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Verse 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So in the actual story, Judas did not buy any field. He went and hung himself. But when they were making mention of it, they mentioned as if it was Judas who bought. Now look at verse 6 of the same Acts chapter 1. Pay attention. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Acts chapter 1 verse number 6. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now that's not the scripture I'm looking for. Get back to Matthew 27 verse 6, sorry. Matthew 27 verse number 6. Good. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. Next verse. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Next verse. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. That field was called the field of blood unto this day. So, pay attention. Who paid for the land? The chief priest. Who did Peter say in Acts purchased the field? In Acts one sixteen, he said Judas. What did it lead to purchasing it? What he did led to purchasing it? Yes. So that is a figure of speech. In narrating the story, the name of Judas appeared as the person who bought the land. Because it was the action of Judas that led to the purchasing of the land. So in grammar, such a communication is called metonin, metonimai. Now, let's go back to Pharaoh. What did God do to Pharaoh? He spoke to Pharaoh through Moses. What did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh doubted and was rebellious against that. So in a figure of speech, if we say God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what we mean is that Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. In a figure of speech, when we say God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what we mean is that Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice. Next verse. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. So the hardness of heart is a response to God's saving power. That's exactly what Pharaoh did. 
Pharaoh had the message from God and Pharaoh hardened his heart. So when God was called, he was just an actor in many actions. What part did God play in that scenario? God gave his voice. What was Pharaoh's part? He responded in rebellion. So it was said that God hardened his heart. How did God harden the heart of Pharaoh? By speaking. By speaking. How is the unbeliever condemned? When the gospel is preached and the unbeliever rejects the gospel. That is when the unbeliever is condemned. Alright? Now pay attention. So did God harden Pharaoh? Yes, no. Yes, no. Yes, by having the gospel preached to Pharaoh. No, by Pharaoh rebelling against the gospel. Alright? So, it's not that God made Pharaoh guilty. But Pharaoh is guilty of not believing the gospel. Is a figure of speech. Not that God made Pharaoh guilty. Pharaoh is guilty by rejecting the gospel. So that is a figure of speech. Now so the person mentioned may have played no role. Or played a very passive role. But there is an action of his that led to what eventually happened. There is an action of his that led eventually to what happened. Please, are you still with me? So in this instance, the action of Judas was that he killed himself. Based on that, there was a series of actions. They took the money, they bought a land, and they put him in that land. Yet, he was the only one that was mentioned. So how did the children of Israel harden their hearts? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise be left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Three. For we which are believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So the word that was preached to them did not profit them because they didn't mix faith in them that heard it. So let's go back to Romans chapter 9. But before I read Romans 9, so what hardened Pharaoh's heart? What hardened Pharaoh's heart? The word that was preached to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh resisted, is what we call the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Romans chapter 9 verse 22 again. Glory to God. Romans chapter 9 verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath 
defeated to destruction. I want to read it again. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Now, how is that? Is the word fitted to destruction? Is the word to be prepared for destruction? To be prepared for destruction. How were they prepared? By their response to the gospel. They were prepared for destruction or fitted for destruction by their response to the gospel or by their response to what was said to them. So when a man responds like that to the gospel by resisting or rejecting the gospel, that man is fitted for destruction or that man is fitted for wrath. Why is it called wrath? It is called wrath because he rejected the goodness of God. It is called wrath because he rejected the goodness of God. Look at the word destruction. The word destruction in the Greek is the word apolia. A-P-O-L-E-I-A. A-P-O-L-E-I-A. Apolia. Let's see the usage of that word destruction. Philippians chapter 1 verse 28. Philippians chapter 1 verse 28. And in nothing terrified. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Which is to them an evident token of perdition. But to you of salvation and that of God. The word perdition there is the word rebellion. Rebellion or perdition is for those who disobey the gospel or those who are rebellious to the gospel. Perdition, rebellion to the gospel. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19. Whose end is destruction? Whose end is destruction? Whose God is their belly? And whose glory is in their shame? Who mind earthly things? Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. Pay attention. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. Except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed... The son of perdition. The word perdition. So the word destruction here will be the word perdition or rebellion or disobedience. The word destruction is the word perdition, rebellion or disobedience. So they were fitted for destruction. How were they fitted for destruction? Because they refused to heed what was said to them. They were fitted for destruction because they refused to heed what was said to them. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39. 
Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So the opposite of perdition is to believe. The opposite of perdition is to believe. Believing is the opposite of perdition. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse number 1. But there were false prophets who am prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. Even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. That word is the word perdition or rebellion. So if he said those vessels were fitted for destruction. He means by their response they were fitted for destruction by their rebellion or by their disobedience to the gospel or by their resistance to the gospel or by their not taking heed to the message. So again, where do we find unbelief? Unbelief will be found in a vessel of perdition. In a vessel of perdition. So if in that perdition is in that perdition that we find the wrath of God. It's in that perdition that we find the wrath of God. Let us go to Romans chapter 12 verse 19. Romans chapter 12 verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Did you see it is written there? Okay. So where is it written? Deuteronomy 32 verse 35. Deuteronomy 32 verse 35. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things that shall come upon them make haste. 36. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he said that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. That is where originally that statement was quoted from. Moses used the same statement in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Leviticus Chapter 19 verse 18. For thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So what was Paul presenting to them? Brother Paul quoted Moses in two places. He quoted Deuteronomy and Leviticus and put them together to form a verse. So why was Paul quoting same person? Using contradictory terms. Come to Romans 12, 20 again. Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. 
For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. But overcome evil with good. So how does God repay? How does God repay? God repays with good. Overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. That is how you give no place to wrath. By overcoming evil with good. So your reaction to evil should be good. It's obvious that in talking about certain actions, scripture just used the author. Mentioned only the author. Not knowing that there were other actors and a series of actions if you don't study carefully. So let us see the term wrath of God. Let us see the term wrath of God. So where is that wrath of God mentioned again? Hold on and, and, and pay attention. Where does that wrath operate? It operates where? In unbelief. He that does not believe in what? The character of God. Or the goodness of God. Or the gospel. So what happens to a man that does not believe in the character, the goodness of God or the gospel? The wrath of God is what happens to a man that does not believe in the goodness of God the character of God or the gospel. On the surface, it looks like God has wrath. That if you don't believe the gospel, God gives you the other side of him. But let us see what happens to the unbeliever. Let me ask you a few questions again. Jesus' death was to save us from what? To save us from wrath. To save us from wrath. So Jesus' death saves us from wrath. So when we hear the gospel, we are saved from wrath. The punishment or the stronghold of sin. We have established that Jesus' death is God's love. And if a man refuses that love, he now gets the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides in a man that rejects the love of God. The wrath of God abided in a man that rejects the gospel of God's love. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. Pay attention. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Next verse. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Pay attention. The vengeance is on them that know not God that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9 carefully everybody. 
who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from 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 the presence of the Lord and from from the glory of his power the word from is the Greek word apo apo the word from is away from apo away from the presence of the Lord away from the glory of his power away from the presence of the Lord away from the presence of his power now what does the power of God do the gospel is the power of God unto salvation so the power of God saves the power of God saves all right the power of God saves look at that same second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 11 chapter 1 verse 11 Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God will count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power which is salvation. So where do we find destruction? Away from the presence of God and away from the glory of his power. So away from the presence of God. And away from the presence. The power of his glory. Is what we call destruction. Is what we call destruction. Now notice the destruction here. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 3. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travel upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now please pay attention. Can we now say. Everybody listen carefully. Can we now say. This destruction. Will be the absence of God's saving power. Huh? Can we now say. This destruction or perdition. Will be the absence. Of God's saving power. Yes, of course. So a man refuses the saving power of Jesus. So when he refuses the saving power of Jesus, he has the wrath of God. When he refuses the saving power of Jesus, he has the wrath of God. So the saving power of Jesus is to save you from what? The saving power of Jesus is to save you from wrath. To save you from wrath. So, what then is the wrath of God? Please pay attention. 
What then is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is on those who do not accept his saving power. The wrath of God is on those who do not accept his saving power. What does his power do? The power of God saves. What does the glory of God do? The glory of God saves. So where do we find destruction? The presence or the absence of God's power. Huh? The absence of God's power. And what is the absence of God's power called? Huh? Yes, the wrath of God. So, is the wrath of God his presence or his absence? Is the wrath of God his presence or his absence? Yeah, his absence. So, that term, wrath of God, is it a figure of speech? Yes, it is. What figure of speech will that term, wrath of God, be? Oh yes, it will be... Huh? No. It will be a paradox. A paradox. In English language. The figure of speech that is referred to as the wrath of God, which is the absence of God, is a paradox. So... Because God doesn't have wrath. His love is forever. His salvation is forever. His power is for salvation. So can we say that the wrath of God is man-made? Yes. Yes. Who does something in this wrath? God or man? Man. What does God do? He gives man the gospel. What does man do? Man rejects the gospel. So the resultant effect of man's rejection of that gospel is what we call the wrath of God. Is what we call the wrath of God. So what is God's part in this wrath? What is God's part or what role does God play in this wrath? His absence. The absence of God is what we call the wrath of God. So the destruction, is it the presence of God or the absence of God? The absence of God. So is the wrath God's wrath or man's wrath? Man's wrath. Alright. So it is a paradox. That is why in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Stay with me. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Romans chapter 1 verse 15. 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. To the Jew first, 
and also to the Greek. Next verse, 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. Look at verse 18 carefully. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed upon all men who disobey the gospel. So the wrath of God is man's activity. Where is this man's activity? This man's activity is in unbelief. I repeat. So the wrath of God is man's activity. Where is this activity of man? This activity of man is in unbelief. So is God active or absent? Hmm? Yes. God is absent. Alright? So the wrath of God, is it God's action or God's inaction? God's inaction. It's like saying, you are carnal and walk as men. It's a figure of speech. Because brother Paul has already said, that they are spiritual. Brother Paul has already said you are saved, you are washed, you are cleansed, and all of that. Then he now said to them, you are carnal. That is a figure of speech because believers are not carnal. He used the word carnal to the church in Corinth to describe the inactivity of their spirit. He used the word canal to address the church in Corinth in describing the inactivity of their spirit. So the wrath of God is God present in it? Is God present in that wrath of God? No. He's not present. So for two days now, we have tracked God's character. Number one, we said that God does not impute sins. Number two, we said that God didn't ask for offering. We also have established that God does not delight in burnt offerings and animals. So we have cleared the character of God. So if we have cleared the character of God, where do we now find his wrath? His wrath has to be in his absence. It's a figure of speech. That's why it is strange in the book of Romans. You will see something like the forbearance of God. The long suffering of God. Then he now says the wrath of God. Mm -mm. The forbearance of God. It is the long suffering and the goodness of God. That leads to repentance. Then after saying that. He now says the wrath of God is revealed. It's not contradictory. He always says it to those who reject the goodness of God. It is God's character of goodness that is refused. 
that is called the wrath of God. God's character or disposition of goodness towards the sinner that the sinner rejects and refuses is what we call the wrath of God. So question, does God have wrath? No. That is why Jesus, who is God, revealed. Jesus, who is the express revelation of God in humanity. Jesus, who is the exact, perfect imprint of God, the revelation of God to man, omitted the day of vengeance when he quoted from Isaiah. Because that day of vengeance is the day of the absence of God's power. So the spirit of God is not in that vengeance. The spirit of God is not in that vengeance. That is why you will see the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. For he saith, I have had thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, today is the day of salvation. Today is not the day of vengeance. That's why you see the scripture will say, through death, Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death. That's another figure of speech. <laughs> there are a lot of figures of speech in the language used in the scriptures. That's why Bible study is of the essence. And you see, in Bible study, we don't answer yes or no. In Bible study, try not to look for yes or no. Look for explanation. Detailed exegesis. Look for detailed explanation. It is within the explanation you will come to understanding. When you now understand, you too can explain to another person who will come to understanding. In Bible teaching, we don't give yes and no answers. We explain. That's why when people are looking for yes and no, they are being mischievous. We don't give yes or no. We explain. For example, there's a series I did on the nature of God in Christ. That is the preamble to this series on the misunderstood God. In that series, I dealt with people like Ananias and Sapphira, Herod, that the worms ate, all those instances. I took time to do exegesis. That was the preamble that precedes what I'm teaching now on the misunderstood God. And I will recommend that for especially people that are new to our teaching. So I yet to hear that teaching series. In Bible study, we don't look for yes or no. We give you detailed explanation because we are using language that has metaphors, figures of speech, that has, you know, different things. You know, uh, different, different figures of speech. So that is why explanation is of the essence. So Jesus, through death, destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the wisdom and power of God. 
God is loving. God is consistent. God does not kill. There is no darkness in him at all. He can never make anybody sin. Do men sin? Yes. Is God present in sin? No. In the wrath of God, who is active? Man. Who is passive? God. Man is active in the wrath of God. Of, of God. God is passive. What is man's activity in the wrath of God? Unbelief. What is God's activity in the wrath of God? Absence. Why is God absent? Because man has rejected his help. Because man has rejected his help. Come with me to Psalm 118 verse 22. Psalm 118 verse 22. As I begin to round up for tonight. The stone which the builders rejected is refused is become the head stone of the corner. The stone which the builders rejected is become the headstone of the corner. Give me 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. 24. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He's talking about Jesus and the day of salvation. That is why Paul now says, today is the day of salvation. That is the day in prophecy, the day of Jesus. Look at John chapter 8 verse 56. John chapter 8 verse 56. Pay attention. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What day was Abraham happy to see? The day of Jesus. What is the day of Jesus? The day of salvation. What is the opposite of day? Night. What happens to the unsaved man? The man who rejects the gospel. That man is in darkness. What is darkness? The absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. When we give a man light and he rejects light, he stays in darkness. He said, this is the record that light is come, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So the wrath of God is the absence of his presence and power. God doesn't have the capacity to do evil. But does it mean that sin will not be punished? Why? Sin will be punished. Because the absence of God is wrath, darkness, destruction. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God commended his love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you remember a few days ago we said, God doesn't abandon anybody. Even when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the beginning of the quote. After saying that, after Jesus said that in the full context, 
He said, I trust him for he will deliver me. What else? Jesus said, you will not leave your holy one to seek corruption. You will not abandon me. Then Jesus said, in your presence is joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. Did God abandon Jesus? No, he never. He has never abandoned. Then Jesus later said, into your hands I commit my spirit. So my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Was the beginning of his speech. The conclusion was, into your hands I commit my spirit. David said, even when I make my bed in hell, you are with me. So is God clear to everybody now? Now look at Luke chapter 21 verse 21. Observe carefully. Luke 21, 21. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter there into. Observe. This is a prophecy. A prophecy that was given. You can write it down. Isaiah 29, 2-4. Psalm 79, 1-4. Micah chapter 3, verse 9-12. to I repeat. Isaiah 29, 2-4. Psalm 79, 1-4. Micah 3, 9-12. All the time that destruction was spoken of, man was the agent. Man was the agent. Man was the agent of that particular destruction. It was just spoken ahead of time and it was carried out by godless people. So predictions never meant that God was in it. Like the prediction of end time events doesn't mean it will be done by God. Wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, that they were predicted by the prophets and by Jesus doesn't mean it is God that will fulfill it. For example, a man like Judas. The Bible says Satan entered Judas. Was he prophesied? Yes. Did Judas have to fulfill it? No. He didn't have to. He could have chosen not to fulfill it. Jesus could have still died through other means. It doesn't have to be Judas. That's why it was called betrayal. Judas betrayed. It was not called cooperation. Judas did not cooperate with God. Judas betrayed. That means Judas could have chosen not to fulfill that prophecy. And yet that prophecy would have been fulfilled other ways. So where do we find the wrath of God again? In his absence. So that is why James 1.20 will now put it like this. James chapter 1 verse 20. Glory. James 1.20. James. For the wrath of man. For the wrath of man. Walketh not the righteousness of God. For the wrath of man. Underline man. So the wrath is the wrath of man. From Moses to Elijah to Elisha to David 
and Goliath a popular testimony in our churches. David and Goliath. David and Goliath. The stone that killed David. I mean Goliath. Do you have your five stones? One stone is a J. Another stone is an E. Another stone is an S. Another stone is a U. Another stone is an S. Do you have the five stones? One killed Goliath. I'm sure it's the J that killed Goliath. Oh my goodness. David and Goliath was not God in oppression. God showed us all through the ministry of Jesus that he could save without killing anybody. He brought men out of prison and nobody died. God can deliver without killing anybody. So from Moses to Elijah to Elisha to David and Goliath, the wrath of man does not walk the righteousness of God. To Jesus' disciples in Luke chapter 9, Shall we command fire to Peter, to Ananias and Sapphira, to Herod who died by disease? And everybody murmured, it was an angel. It was a murmuring, there was no angel there. If you get my teaching on the true nature of God, I dealt with Herod's death. That worms that ate him up, what was it? I took time to do some work there. God is good, he has no evil in him. Ladies and gentlemen, correct your impressions so you are not double-minded and unstable in all your ways. James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Scripture tells us in him is no darkness at all. God is dependable. God is reliable. God is predictable. We know what he can do. We know what he cannot do. He's predictable. He cannot kill. In him is life. There's no darkness in him. We can predict God. I don't have to see a vision to know. When I see activities, I can tell whether God is there or not. When I see things, I know what God will do and what God cannot do. I know what God can be involved in and what God is not involved in. So God can be predicted. He said, hear the son. Hear ye him. We have heard the son. We are in the son. We abide in the son. We are satisfied with the knowledge of the son of God. We believe in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Because to, to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. We are stable. We are not tossed to and fro and carried about. No. We are stable. We have come to the full insight of God in Christ. We have come to the fullness of God revealed in Christ. God is absolute light. God is absolute life. In him there is no darkness at all. Pay attention. Do you know that even in knowing yourself, revelation knowledge is required. You need revelation knowledge to know Christ. You need revelation knowledge to know yourself. That's why brother Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 that you may know the hope of your calling. That the eyes of 
to even know yourself, you need revelation knowledge. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. You can't know yourself after the flesh. You can only know yourself by revelation. You can only know yourself in the, in the spirit. You can only know yourself in Christ. And if you don't know yourself in Christ, you will suffer from condemnation. You will suffer from guilt. You will suffer from inferiority complex. You will suffer from sin consciousness. You will be unstable. You will be unreliable. If you don't know who you are, by revelation knowledge, you will be defined as sanguine, melancholy, introvert, extrovert, and all the verts. You never know who you are until you come to a place of revelation. And if you don't know yourself, you will keep looking for righteousness. You will keep fasting for holiness. You will keep seeking and looking and fasting and crying. But when you know yourself in Christ, you become consistent, constant, full of life, stable, unmovable, confident, bold. And you can speak to the Father anytime. You begin to know that you are God's offspring of his own will begotten us by the word of truth that we should become a kind, a species, a breed, a race of his first fruits. Praise God. And I want to pray for you, everybody. Stand up for the day. Father, I pray for viewers all over the world tonight that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Veils fall off. Veils fall off. Clarity comes by the Holy Ghost. Clarity comes. The eyes of your understanding be flooded with light. That you may know the hope of your calling. That you may know the riches of your inheritance in the saints. That you may know the exceeding greatness of his power to us. What we believe according to the working of his mighty power. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And set him at his own right hand. I pray for you tonight. That you strengthen with might by a spirit in the inner man. Veils fall of clarity comes. Above all, the revelation of Jesus grows big on your inside until nothing else matters. And I declare that tonight veils fall off. I declare that tonight clarity comes. You're rooted, you're grounded, you're established in the knowledge of Christ. You are far, you are far from deception and you are far from confusion. Rooted and grounded, established and kept by the power of God. Thank you, Father, for answer prayer. We rejoice, we rejoice tonight that we are found in him and complete in him. And we stand complete in his righteousness. And we give you praise, Father. Thank you for the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer says that amen on a note of finality. Amen. Glory to God. Hey guys, what a joy to be with you again tonight. We continue teaching this tomorrow night. Saturday, Sunday, and I think we'll also do some teaching in the course of next week. Are you tired? I'm sure you're not tired. We just keep studying and studying and studying and studying till Jesus comes. Amen. <laughs> we keep studying till Jesus comes. Make sure you have your notebook and your pen. Take down the notes. Think about them. 
Pray over them. Think about them. Check your Bible again. Read, read, read. Stop. Think. 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 Go back again. Ask questions. Ask intelligent questions. Go back. Until these entire teachings become a part of you. So that wherever anybody is asking any question, you can convince your gainsayers. Amen. Thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing the broadcast on your page. All of you that shared the broadcast. And thank you for inviting more people to be part of the service tomorrow. 5 p.m. GMT plus one. It's going to be another powerful time as we continue to uncover the misunderstood God. I want to thank everybody that gives to this ministry. All your offerings, your love, your support, your givings, all your donations towards this ministry is helping us to get the word of God out to where the people who need it are. I'd like you to grab your offerings tonight as we pray and honor Jesus by our givings into his kingdom. We give in honor of the finished work of Christ and we give in honor of the labor of this ministry and we create financial platforms through which the gospel can be pushed out to where people who need it are. Thank you for giving to the Lord and thank you for honoring this ministry. Father, thank you for everybody giving tonight. All the offerings given and all the, the donations given. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your people are blessed with all that they require. Every need met supernaturally. Every desire granted. The enemy's holes are broken. And in the name of Jesus, you have ideas, concepts, and insights. The favor of God is at work on your behalf. New relationships. You are strategically kept and positioned and prepared for the post-corona world. I decree that you know what to do. You are not confused. The grace of God is abundant upon you. And in the name of Jesus, you have counsel, sound counsel in the name of Jesus. And I decree that tonight every need is met. We rebuke sickness and disease and we command the devil, get your hands off in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for answered prayer. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Praise God. Hey, guys, we love you. It's a joy to minister to you every day in this place. Our house centers, we live in the hands of our pastors all over the state. They will tell you what next to do. All our campuses, able hands of our coordinators. And everybody online, we love you guys. Remember, I am going to be teaching again at 10 p.m. tonight. 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. 12 noon tomorrow. And I'm back here at 5 p.m. tomorrow. We keep learning and learning and growing. And expanding the kingdom. Greet your neighbors and everybody around you. We love you guys. Still, we catch up again with you tomorrow. And until then, be blessed. Amen. Praise God.